Hey parents, Tim Wright here along with Dr. Michael Gurian for a, another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast. And once again, we've got a listener question, and uh, it's, a, it's a challenging question for us today, a heartbreaking question, and we're going to get at it in just a moment. But Michael, one of the things that we want people to be aware of is a very special event coming up here in October especially geared to people who are raising boys or working with boys, the Helping Boys Thrive Summit. You want to tell us a little bit about it? Yes, uh, thank you. The Helping Boys Thrive Summit, if people go to helpingboysthrive.org, it will show up right away. This is a telesummit. We're doing it as a telesummit, and it will be October 1st, but available from October 1st through 7th, um, uh, you know, on the website for viewing. And we're going to focus on the needs of boys, um, the development of boys, uh, you know, all of those very important themes go deep into the science, go deep into um, good parenting, education, uh, mentoring, rites of passage. Uh, it should be a it should be a wonderful event. And we've really priced it so that it is accessible for everyone. So if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, if you're a teacher. If you are a coach, a therapist, if you are impacting the lives of boys at all, uh, we encourage you to go to helpingboysthrive.org and check it out. And we're really excited about it because we, we usually do three or four of these a year uh, in various places, but this enables us to reach anybody anywhere at any time. So we hope you'll sign up for that and uh, looking forward to being with you on October 1st for that event. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning, we've got a, a, a it's a really tough, heartbreaking question, but it's such an important one. Uh, we have talked about abuse before, uh, particularly looking at Michael's story. And uh, we got a, a, an email from one of our listeners, and I want to read the question. And I know, Michael, that there's a lot to unpack on this one. Uh, it says, we recently found out that our 13-year-old daughter has been inappropriately touched by her female cousin was also 13. They've always been great friends, so we never would have seen this coming. After our daughter's recent weekend trip with her grandma and grandpa and this cousin, our daughter came home in tears and finally told us what had been happening. She informed us that it has been happening for about four years without our knowing. We have contacted the grandparents and the parents of the child to let them know they received it best they could. We just want to know where we go from here with our daughter's healing. Thank you. And I, I, boy, my heart just breaks for them and for their daughter. So Michael, start out when you read this initial thoughts you had, and then we'll go a little deeper if we can. Yeah. Uh, I read this and immediately wrote back trying to, just to make sure we knew what, what was meant by inappropriately touched. Right. And, and so, and this person, uh, this parent wrote back and said, okay, it was not genitals that were touched. It was breasts. Um, and I also asked about frequency and, uh, the mom wrote back and said it was when she was at her cousin's house with, which wasn't much. So in other words, she's not there a lot. Um, uh, they, people live separately. So the mom guessed around two to three times a year. Um, and, and in another place, uh, there was some language about, it was usually humping, but also sometimes touching her genitals she was afraid to tell us and and that's when i wrote back and said okay can we be specific and she said okay no it wasn't genitals it was breasts so there was some humping and touching breasts so um the what we have is two 13 year olds um uh, you know friends cousins family members and 
that there's there's good news here the uh, in terms of unpacking this 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 as the breasts are are budding in these two girls you know they were touching each other's breasts uh, if it's been going on for nine years there was some ex exploration there was some experimentation um, you know the good news is there wasn't penetration you know it didn't go all the way into that kind of trauma so um, I I ultimately think I mean I know we'll continue to unpack it but I if if they were my clients what I would suggest is to um, to talk about the experience and the trauma of it in certain contexts that will help to diminish the trauma um, so obviously hear it and these people have heard it um, listen have the story told of what happened by the daughter. Uh, so go through all of those really good therapeutic steps to make sure it's all out in the open, and um, uh, and then and then talk about the trauma as confused feelings. Um, and again, because there wasn't penetration, uh, talk about the trauma as confused feelings. You, she, you you and she did this, or she did this to you. Right now, it's seen as she did this to you, um, but because it went on for four years. Ultimately, it's going to become we did this because the daughter was part of it, right? Even though she didn't want to be part of it, she was part of it. So um, these were confused feelings. We didn't understand them. We, I didn't understand my feelings because it felt good, but it didn't feel good. We want to help her to talk about that and, um, and, uh, and I think contextualize some of this as experimentation to try to move, you know, into the healing process as, um, uh, which I think is going to be possible with this because genitals were not touched and there wasn't penetration. So to try to contextualize some of it in experimentation and, um, and, uh, and then the last thing I'd say that comes to me, you know, immediately is pro I, I guess I am guessing that the cousin who initiated the touching, I'm guessing that she's, developing a lesbian, so developing along a homosexual trajectory. And um, uh, so in her, in her brain system, that's, this is normal, right? In her brain system, because um, I don't, I can't remember if we talked in this podcast about this, but if you're developing, if you're homosexual, about five to 10% of, of, of mammals, obviously including humans, develop um, a homosexual sexual orientation. So it's a same-sex orientation, and it happens in other mammals as well. And and I can go deeper into it, Tim, if you ask me to. It's a mystery that we're all trying to solve. There's some genetics involved. There's various things involved. So if if she's in that five to ten percent, which I'm guessing she is, then what she was doing was getting a partner, right, an experimental partner for. Um, uh, her sexual orientation. And I think that's a good thing to tell this daughter and to help this daughter to understand um, and see where the daughter is at. Uh, because uh, something down the line that's probably going to happen, not today, but in a month or two or three, in the healing process with the daughter is to figure out what her sexual orientation is. And I'm, I'm guessing, I'm taking a guess that because she's having, you know, obviously a reaction to this, she's now under, understands, and from her point of view, this is inappropriate, and she's worried about it, and she's brought it to her, her, her family system, that she is probably developing in a heterosexual orientation. So she's probably not gay, and she's understanding that. 
and a lot of this could be unconscious. And um, so I'm guessing that, but it is possible that she is also developing along a homosexual trajectory, which would be a lesbian trajectory. That should be explored and people need to try to understand that. And of course, I'm presenting all of this from just from a scientific perspective. Um, if, the, if these listeners or other folks are coming at it at this from a completely religious perspective, then they may end up in a different place uh, than I am. I'm just looking at the, the science of heterosexuality and homosexuality and, and uh, inserting them into this conversation because I think they could be good healing tools. Um, they can help these people define themselves and they can help this daughter, you know, say to her cousin, um, since they are in the same family, you know, um, hey, you did this. I didn't like this. I'm not like you. I respect you, but I'm not like you. I'm I'm me. You know, that kind of a thing, if they can figure out um, what the sexual orientation is of both the girls. So those are things that hit me um, immediately. Uh, do they, would, would it be helpful for them to seek out professional counseling? Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure these folks are going to get a counselor. Okay. And I think everything that I'm seeing, I'm, I'm hoping that the counselor will help them to do. Uh, and for, you know, and I think they really need a female counselor for this. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Uh, what would be the difference between uh, experimentation on the one hand, where we recognize that that kids, as their bodies are growing, they're trying to figure out what their bodies do and so on. What's the difference between that and, say, molestation or inappropriate touching? Uh, it, it's got to yeah. be a fine line, but how, how yeah. do we help our kids navigate that? Yeah, a lot of it is about the power differential. Um, you know, what makes something abuse? Uh, and you've, you've asked really, you know, an incredible question for every parent raising every teenager um, because every teenager is experimenting with things, not, not all sexual, but just experimenting. And, you know, at what point does that experimentation move into the realm of abuse? It's going to generally be move into the realm of abuse if someone else, the other person involved is coercing it or is in a position of, of power and is forcing the actions, the activities, even trying to force thoughts, you know, on this um, vulnerable child. So one of the reasons that when I look at this, I think this can be contextualized as experimentation is because, and I think that would help, you know, um, down the line, I think it would help so that this, the daughter who, who um, is, you know, has now said, look, I don't, I don't like that. 
so that she doesn't perennially think of herself as victim, you know, because that actually can de debilitate also. And so, so in this case, I think it's more in the realm, you can put it more in the realm of experimentation because it doesn't sound like there was, um, these two are the same age, right? So it's not an 18 year old doing this with a 13 year old. These are two 13 year olds. And uh, that's why I suspect that it would, be, it would barely go into the category of power differential abuse, even though, um, you know, clinically, even though clinically um, she feels uncomfortable, she was inappropriately touched, we're going to put it under the category of sexual abuse. Yes. But for this healing process, um, I think it's more in the category of experimentation and or at least can be contextualized that way because of the lack of that immense power differential. Okay, so that's really, really helpful, I think. And and I, I'm, I'm going to probably ask you to state it again because you're not downplaying in any way, shape, or form that this girl felt misused or whatever language we want to use. But for her to move through this process and not become a victim or even years later become afraid of uh, sexual intimacy, we want to try to reframe it uh, because it, it, the, the trauma did not go uh, as deeply as it could have. And I am stumbling yeah, over a lot of words. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, no, I think, I, think you're, I think you're doing great. I mean, I think this is stuff that everyone stumbles over. You know, yep. um, and because we weren't there, you know, and and uh, everything is via report. You know, everything everything we learn generally, unless someone has taken video or photos, what we learn about sexual abuse is by reporting and by people telling their story. So it and she has she is telling her story, right? She has told her story to her mom and her her family system, and so we are figuring out in that story what happened and how we can help. And, and um, uh, we do have to ascertain in the, in the story how, how many layers of trauma there are, you know? And if, if there aren't, you know, some of the deeper layers of trauma, then we don't, certainly don't want to project them in there. We want to look for the good news, like I said. We want to find, we want to reframe, as you just said, keep framing and reframing in ways that are that are appropriate and that are useful that don't diminish or downplay trauma but that try to help healing and 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 so you know i'll use my example i mean when i was um i'm not sure if people listening to this have heard the previous ones but if you go to previous ones i talk in the context of the stone boys which is the novel i wrote for um that depicts to a great extent the sexual abuse i experienced at 10 you know that was a massive power differential that's a psychiatrist an adult psychiatrist who's forcing me to do things sexually at 10 number one too early right i mean i didn't even know what it was at 10 years old now kids are a little more mature than i was in 1968 they've seen more on the internet on tv they know a little more about sex but at 10 i knew nothing and you know so here's this power differential and this you know where, where this abuse occurs and I'm forced into doing things. And and as I've said in, in other cases, and then you get pleasure. The victim gets pleasure. You feel pleasure mm. from from sexual acts because you have nerve endings, you know, et cetera. As I'm sure that this girl felt some pleasure from these nerve endings. And, um, and so then that's really confusing. So when you don't have the power differential, 
um, or a, a, an adult child power differential. There may have been a slight power differential in that perhaps one cousin, the one who was inappropriate, has more alpha power maybe than this cousin is more extroverted. This cousin's more introverted. I mean, there there is going to be some power differential, but it's not the power differential um, of an adult and a child. So when you don't have that, I you know always beg families to do the reframing to try to move it toward experimentation so that you know as you've said so that this this child can come out of it and say okay what did i learn you know i learned that i i kind of got into it for a while because it was so interesting and and weird and i didn't understand it but i didn't like it and i finally was able to say i don't like this and we put a stop to it how great that i was empowered you know so it reframes toward my empowerment Mm. Uh, not not me being a victim. And that is easier to do when you don't have the power differential. The shame level when you have the power differential, and especially when there's more frequency, that's another thing we didn't talk about, which is lucky here, which is good news, is there the frequency here was two or three times a year for four years. So the frequency of these actions were is around 10 to 12, right? And right. in a situation when, like when I was sexually abused or, you know, abuse or the, the boys and the girls who are abused, you know, that stuff goes on weekly for months or years. And so that's why I keep coming back to the fact that there is some good news here in the healing. I'm guessing that these parents, like a lot of parents, are asking themselves the questions, how did we not see this? Um, and of course, we don't know the situation here, but are there some things that parents can look for in their children to suggest that there's some sort of trauma, not just sexual, but some sort of trauma going on in the lives of their kids? Yeah, um, this it doesn't appear that it happened in this case, which again is, right. is these things I'm about to say, which is good news because then it, it means you know perhaps the trauma wasn't uh, at at the at that significant level you know, we're six months to a year of sexual abuse, but, uh, but always watch for these sorts of things, folks. Um, you know, if the child changes, like the child used to be a happy child and is now a very angry child. And, and it's, it's not just, okay, the child is 12 and is getting hit with hormones, heavy estrogen in girls, heavy testosterone in boys. And so, you know, there can be some sort of normal moodiness and, and adolescent anger. It's not that we're seeing that this child used to be one way and a month later now is another way and everyone else is seeing it. The teachers are seeing the anger, uh, the family members are seeing the anger. So watch for that sort of anger uh, that just can't be satisfied. Uh, and also obviously watch for isolation, um, uh, hiding in, in, a, in my room and I won't come out, you know, um, that kind of isolation. Uh, so there can be significant depression there and um, that can be related to the trauma also, if it's a, of a sexual nature, if the uh, trauma has been sexual, you may see uh, in many, you know, I'd say in majority of cases, you do see some sort of sexual issue that arises. It could be promiscuity um, uh, or it could be, you know, taking one's clothes off inappropriately or, you know, touching someone inappropriately. But I've been sexually traumatized, so I don't really understand that's inappropriate, right? I'm the child. I mean, it, so things of a sexual nature that arise, look you know, look at that. Maybe a porn addiction starts. Uh, so it also for sexual abuse can have a sexual component that you have to really watch carefully for. Um, so those are, those are a few. 
Uh, we do have a, a podcast, and I will say in terms of helping folks, also gurianinstitute.com. I wrote a number of blogs that give bullet points that provide, um, and you can get them on the news page of gurianinstitute.com, and you'll see a number of bullet points of things to watch for to see if your child's been traumatized. When I was growing up back in the 1960s, uh, sexual identity was fairly well defined. We had boys, we had girls. Uh, there was an awareness of gays, of homosexuality, but it was not mainstreamed at all. It was something we were all afraid of. Now, now our kids are growing up in a world uh, of all kinds of differentiations when it comes to who they might be sexually. Uh, are you seeing more uh, sexual gender confusion in our kids today, or would you say it's about the, the same? Um, that's a, uh, that's an interesting thing to ponder. I mean, I, I think because it's so much, it's so much more public that I would have to say, yes, we're seeing more now, uh, because the conversation is, is so public and the, uh, the opportunities and the variety, the diversity of sexual development, you know, this started post, this started with the pill, it's feminist, post-feminist, um, and then with the pill, you know, so that just sexual understanding uh, grew and became public and sexual experimentation um, ha has grown considerably. And, and uh, the pill, of course, makes a lot of that possible for heterosexual couples. And then the, um, the you know, the sciences, we're getting more science out there about what is really going on, what parts of the brain handle sexual ori orientation. And we have st studies now that, you know, show this in other mammals. So all of that science gets out to folks and, and um and and so yeah i think we're seeing more discussion about it i the, right. the one thing that worries me the thing that worries me about all of this discussion because i think the discussion is here to stay and sexual variety i think is here to stay i don't think that's going to ever go back um to the the 50s or to a thousand years ago um i think it's here to stay but what worries me is that folks are thinking that sexual orientation of adults um, uh, or, you know, trans, what one's sexual or gender identity is as an adult, that we can know that in a five-year-old, mm. that we can know that in a seven or eight-year-old. I think that's that's a, a really big issue we have to face as a culture um, because you really can't know until the kid goes through puberty and is beyond puberty and is really moving into middle or late adolescence, you can't actually know, you know, where they fit on the LGB, which is lesbian, gay, bisexual, that's sexual orientation. And then the uh, uh, T, LGBT, which is trans, um, and then Q, which is queer, you, you can't know a lot of that stuff until, um, you know, kids are late adolescent moving into emerging adulthood. You can't know at five, you can't know at seven, you can't know, you know, you can't even fully know at 12 or 13. You can suspect, I mean, I think most people who turn out to be lesbian or gay will will think back and say, I knew when I was five. Right. And some of the people who um, are trans, who really are trans, will look back and they'll say, hey, I knew when I was five. So that's absolutely true. But in terms of, of everyone knowing it, you know, in terms of us really understanding it for everybody, we have to wait until kids are older 
and the brain has developed these these functions and you know so uh, so obviously late adolescence early adulthood so with this 13 year old you know this is where um where we have i suspect for instance that the 13 year old who was the aggressor who inappropriately touched i suspect that she's a lesbian can we really know you know it's possible that she herself was sexually abused in some way she's acting that out with her cousin so um you know and i'm sure her family is going to look at that hopefully they will um and they're also going to look at what her sexual orientation is will she know absolutely until she's 17 18 19 and becomes sexually active i don't think so i think she suspects but i don't know that she can know and what? i think that's true of all these gender identities we need to you know we need to be thinking okay you know that's very interesting but let's let's wait until you're you know, like a late adolescent emerging adult before we do anything you know like to your bodies mm -hmm. with hormone therapy and these sorts of things mm -hmm. and obviously i'm not alone in saying this i think most medical professionals would say this yeah so my kids now are my daughter just turned 40 so i've been a dad for 40 years and my son's in his late 30s but i've got grandkids and um you know the thought of my my grandkids experimenting sexually to figure themselves out, you know, it just uh, puts me into a cold sweat. And I'm sure it does for parents as well. What do parents need to know about kids and sexual experimentation as they're growing up? And what do we, what do we need to teach our kids? What boundaries? What do our kids need to know as they're going through that period of time? Yeah. Well, I think this is, you know, this is a really interesting area because I, I, I first of all, if someone comes from a religious background, right in which there are strict yep. sexual um rules and so on okay that's not going to fit what i'm about to say so i'm not going to impinge on you i just want you to know ahead of time i'm warning people what i'm about to say is not going to fit with that and there and it, it may not fit with you know folks personal sense of how their children develop but what i would say is that for the most part uh the the sexual exper experimentation of our adolescent children for the most part um, as long as they are safe, I mean, if there's going to be penetration, then we need to use condoms. As long as they are safe, um, uh, for the most part, it's not debilitating. In fact, it's part of human development. And um, and uh, if someone says, well, you should not do anything before marriage, okay, that comes from a rule structure. But the kids themselves are wired to experiment. And, um, you know, just as we were when we were young. And it was about getting up the guts, you know, that fit with my personality type and with my courage level or fear level, you know, to, to push a little harder. Okay. Will you kiss me? Okay. All right. Now you've kissed me. Okay. Can, can I touch your breast? Okay. Right. I mean, all of that stuff is normal and, and I don't believe we as parents should be afraid of it. Uh, but we should be teaching our kids that it is experimentation, that it is normal and that there is a line, you know, and then all of us have to teach what that line is. And and I'll I'll tell my personal story now. You know, being raised Jewish and in all sorts of various religions, I wasn't really raised with uh, sexual strictures the way, for instance, a born again Christian would be raised, right? So, so and I'm more sciencey, you know. And so with my kids, right? I have two daughters. What I what what I and we taught them was, okay, we know you're going to experiment. So here is the line: you have to have safe sex when you have sex. And we believe that you should wait 
until you have been with a person, and by this I mean wait for intercourse, until you have been with a person. Um, we'd love it if you would wait till you got married. We don't think you will. Um, so at least wait six months. Be with a person for six months. Do other things you know that you want to do with each other, but wait six months before you have intercourse. And and by the way, I want to remind you that my kids, as most kids, weren't even going to think about this stuff until they're like late teens, right? I mean, they just not going to get up the courage to do a lot of this stuff. Um, and uh, and in fact, they didn't. You know, they were in their late teens, and uh, they did wait. Um, I think one daughter waited five months, and the other maybe eight months. Uh, and, um, you know, and then they went for it. And, and so that's what, that's what we taught. And now we're in the realm of where every family has to figure out what their line is. And we didn't think it was realistic for our kids to wait till marriage because, because of the community they were raised in. Again, they weren't raised in a, a rule in heavy rules, religious community, uh, Jewish communities tend to be more liberal. Um, and, so so we thought that this was what was realistic and safe and uh, and it, and it worked out uh so every family has to i think figure this out for themselves and if they if they get help they believe from religion that's awesome but if if not um you know teach some delay what i would su suggest is teach delay don't teach your net it's not going to happen until you're married at 35 you know teach delay it until you get a you get an ability for your personality and your emotive development your self-development to be able to um want this big change in your life because of course going forward with intercourse is a change in your life um you want that kind of bonding you're ready to take the risk of that kind of bonding right because a lot of people mainly guys but some adolescent girls once they have sex they're done they're like oh i don't want you anymore you know and mm he's -hmm. got to be ready for that. And so yeah. I think it takes, I believe it takes around six months of being with someone. Others will set other limits, but that's how, how we did it. Yeah. And, and that wouldn't be really any different for any sort of household, no matter where your religious uh, beliefs might be or lack thereof. It's, you know, what do I think are the standards I want to raise for my kid or raise my kids in to keep them safe, to keep them wise and uh, to help them use this really, really powerful gift of sex and sexuality in ways that will enhance their lives rather than destroy them. And that's what we want for all of our kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that will happen for this girl. I think they're going to heal this. Uh, I think this is going to get healed and she's going to be okay. And that's what I appreciated about their question is they, they were really looking for healing for her. And I'm sure, as you said, there are going to be other things that they're going to have to explore in terms of the cousin and relationships, but their primary concern is to bring healing to their daughter, and your recommendation is try to reframe this uh, to give her her power back, essentially. Yep. And to yeah, say, first yeah. listen and hear the story and, you know, really be there for her as she is going through it, and then yep. gradually um, reframe. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much, Michael. Um, and if you've got questions for us, you can go to our Facebook or our uh, website, wonderofparenting.com. It's wonderofparenting.com. There is a form there that you can write your question and we'll put it in the queue for you. There are other resources there for you. There's a link to our sponsors, a place of hope up in the Seattle area. 
and uh, they do such great work there at the center. And they work in this area, by the way. They work in in addictions, sexual addictions, of course, depression, anxiety. Um, but they also have staff. The center, a place of hope, um, uh, can work on these issues with people too. Yes. So please check them out. And again, want to remind you of uh, HelpingBoysThrive.org coming up in October. And uh, we'll be back with you again next time for another listener question. Michael, thank you very, very much. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money.